0: Burn bright you tungsten burnadets and fluorescent emits unscrew yourself from the ceiling of life and smash into a thousand pieces what's the crack how are you getting on you delicious pricks it is october 3rd the year of our lord 2018 and this is podcast number 52 um it is not the one year anniversary that'll be in two weeks time I believe but it's the 52nd fucking podcast Christ what did we chat about last week not sure yeah last week was part 3 of the cognitive psychology podcast which was I don't know it was in a it, it was to bolster my own kind of mental health resilience for the winter and for yourselves as well if you wished to participate but uh, yeah I gave you three solid weeks of psychology podcasts and the feedback for him was very very strong you liked it but there were still a few people a bit like three weeks of psychology blame boy, chill out man And that's fair enough. That's fair enough because not everybody is introspective. Not everybody um, wants to look inside. Some people, you know, for where they're at in their lives at this moment are quite happy. Going, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm going to continue on externally because it's working for me right now. So that's fine. So for those people, I will discontinue the theme of psychology this week and just do something interesting, some old school shit, some hot takes, you know? On whatever takes our fancy. Um I did a bit of a rant about podcasts versus traditional media versus like um television and radio. And a few of you were asking me you know, I was saying I, I much prefer like Vloggers to whatever's on television, and people are asking me what what vloggers do I enjoy, and if I could mention them, I don't actually like loads of them. Um, the one vlogger that I would look at the most—it's a fella on YouTube, and his name is Mark Weins, Wiens W I E N S—and it's you might hate it, you know, I just happen to like it. He's just this fella. And he travels all around the world with his wife and his child. And he all he does is he goes looking for nice food. That's it. H- his subscribers, like he, he'll say, right, I'm off to Portugal next week. His subscribers will give him a list of restaurants to visit. He'll go to the restaurants with his camera. And will just find nice food and eat it. ...and i watch him for hours... ...and I don't know why... Um ...again it is the passion... ...this guy... ...Mark Wiens... ...when he is talking about food... ...you can tell... ...there is nothing more in the entire world... ...that this man loves... ...than finding nice food... ...and that is incredibly infectious... ...and one thing that's incredible about Mark Wiens... ...and you'll either hate him or love him for this... ...when he eats a piece of food... He has this fucking ridiculous expression on his face which is halfway between it's halfway between the moment of climax while masturbating and seeing a giant lollipop. It's the only way I can describe it. He has this look of pleasured ecstasy. Do you know what I mean? Um, like looking up at a cloud and seeing God's shin or something. But, like, yeah, he just has this crazy fucking contorted, ec- ecstatic view on his f- look on his face when he eats into a piece of food. And you'll either hate it or love it. But my theory is that when he does this face after eating food to the camera, for me, I end up with this feeling of empathy. And I get hooked in it, and that's what has me coming back. And when he, he it, when you, when you watch his vlogs and you get to know him, like he, he could be in Singapore eating eating a burger, and he doesn't rate the food. He doesn't say like this burger was a nine out of ten or a seven out of ten. You have to empathically use your ability as a human being to judge by how his lip curls or how his eye contorts or the noise that he makes to judge whether it was a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 or a 2 out of 10 and I just find that highly entertaining and I'll watch that for hours as opposed to uh, something that had a team of 10 writers and a budget of 2 million so there you go That that's that's my recommendation for a vlogger you can't so what have I been up to well if you listen to this podcast, you know that my, my day-to-day kind of existence is taken up with writing. I'm writing my second book of short stories, and I'm also writing a television series. So, like, that's my day-to-day. And I love it. I absolutely fucking adore it. There's nothing more than I want to do than sit down and write. And you'll also know that my goal, when I sit down to, you know, engage in, in the creative act of writing, I'm looking to achieve the state known as creative flow, which is the intense state of, of, like, waking, like being in a waking dream where ideas just flow through me and come out onto the paper, and then I go, wow, that's a great idea, I don't know, don't know where that came from. So that's, that's my day-to-day. But, like, I don't do that all day. I might do it for maybe two or three hours in the morning and then maybe go back to it in the evening. You have to compartmentalise it. So for leisure, what I've been doing, aside from going to the gym or going for the odd jog, for leisure, I've been treating myself by playing video games. And... I don't know. I have a queer old relationship with with video games. I've spoken before about... Addiction. And... Substances. Not necessarily... Not addiction, but more abuse. Abuse of... any Any substance or activity, right? Which is external to yourself. Which you engage in. But you're doing it to... Soothe an internal... Issue. So in my situation... I'm using video games as a, as a... Kind of a reward system... And to alleviate boredom... But I have to say... Like just using my self-awareness... Around video games... Like... I don't know... I, I don't think video games are too healthy for me... Like that's the thing... With, with, with a substance or activity... Always try and look at what is my relationship with this thing so we'll say alcohol I can have a feed of cans at the weekend and get shit faced and have a very enjoyable time and that's it I have my cans and then the next day little bit of a hangover but I get on with my life it doesn't I don't feel guilt over it I don't feel shame it doesn't when I have drink on me it doesn't cause me to do anything where the next day I'm like have the fear over it so my relationship with alcohol is, is actually quite healthy but I'm not sure if my relationship with video games is that healthy because I don't know it it causes, the video games cause me quite a bit of stress and upset and I think, I've said it before I believe but I think what it is is whatever endorphins in my brain get released when i sit down and write okay we said the dragon that i chase when i sit down to write the motivation the chemical reward that my brain gives me when i have an idea that i'm happy with video games does that for me so i i have this new game called city skylines it's a bit like um sim city i don't know if you played that years ago but it's just a video game where you design a city and it's brilliant it's fantastic i fucking love it but i'll sit down at it and without even being aware of it like three hours would have passed and i'm just completely and utterly absorbed in the zone of this video game and yeah it's enjoyable but it's a very detached enjoyment it's it's not a, a present moment here and now type of enjoyment it's it's like artificial flow it's the only way I can describe it when I write and I achieve flow it's an intense depersonalization where like when you're daydreaming not aware of time you're not aware of space you're just in your head ...figuring out ideas... ...and it's, it's a very present... ...pure thing... ...video games do a similar thing to me... ...but... ...afterwards I'm left with this sense of... Uh, ...shame... ...this sense of... of yeah, ...I don't know... It's, ...it's like... ...spending three hours... ...in another person's imagination... ...and coming out of it with nothing to show for it... ...so I end up then with this... ...weird kind of hum of guilt around and and I know you're saying yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't be guilty about relaxing or having something as a reward but like again it's about assessing my relationship with it if instead of, of playing video games for an hour I, I I don't know go for a walk for an hour or something that'd be much better but it's just something I notice um I think I do think now they are actually yeah the DSM Which is the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual. Which is... It's a manual that... Psychologists and psychiatrists use to assess different um, mental illnesses. I believe for the first time, video game addiction is in the DSM. Uh, I think last year they added it. And... I'm not saying I'm addicted to video games because... Like I say, it's only like an hour or two a day. But it's it's not about. Like. Take it back to something like alcohol. If you only drink cans once a week. But however. That once a week. Results in. Cans causing you to feel depressed. Or results in. You know. Alcohol causing you to. Do things that you regret. Shit like that. Then you might not be addicted to drink but you have uh, an unhelpful relationship with it same with smoking fucking hash some people smoke hash and it causes intense paranoia and unpleasant experiences you might just do it once a week but if that's your experience with it then you have to assess your relationship with that external stimulus that is being used to soothe an internal disquiet and for video games, that's that's it, that's it for me. So, it's a tough one. I'm just, it's something I'm really fucking battling with. Because I also don't want to not play video games because I love them. I fucking love them. And Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out at the end of October. And Red Dead Redemption is one of my favourite games of all time. It's fucking beautiful. So, what I did though with City Skyline... I got the CD... And I put it up on a very high press. To keep it out of sight. I think that particular game. I need to stay the fuck away from. Any video game I find. I had another one before called Tropico 5. Where. You're basically the dictator of a banana republic. Any game where it's. Sandbox. Planning and building. Which is in a sense kind of creative. That for me. Is a bad drug. Um, something like Grand Theft Auto Online, I can dip in out of that, do it for an hour, get the fuck away from it. But, uh, do you know what it is? I think I've just figured it out now. Video games that require the creative part of my brain. If I'm playing a game where it's just shooting people, there's very little creativity involved in that. That's, um kind of a mental gymnastics it's the mental equivalent of doing physical activity but if I'm playing a video game that is requiring of me to use my artistic skills or my creative skills then I think that's toxic for me I think it it, it, I get guilt I get a strong feeling of guilt if I sit down and write for two hours and come out with something at the end of it I get the complete opposite feeling yes I've left my body for a while yes I'm completely absorbed but I come out of it with a deep sense of personal meaning and I spoke in previous podcasts I was referencing the psychologist Viktor Frankl about the importance of finding personal meaning that the key to trying to have a happy life is can you find your own personal meaning now I'm very lucky because I know that acts of true creativity writing creating music that gives me deep personal meaning so if I do two hours of writing and I come out with something good even if I don't the act of engaging in that for two hours I get this very intense uh, emotional sustenance for the rest of the day so I'm incredibly happy for the rest of the day and I feel a great sense of purpose and a great sense of achievement And that translates then into a general hum of everything's okay. You know, I don't get stressed, I don't get tired, I don't get irritable. But two hours of a fucking video game and I just don't feel good for the rest of the day. It's that simple. I feel drained. I could go out and do a 10k run, it doesn't fix the feeling. I'd be getting anxious pangs for it. And yeah, I just asked myself, I said, if this was fucking cans... I'd be looking for an AA meeting you know um, so what is this week's podcast about it's not about that that was my pre-hot take rant which is something I've started doing recently isn't it like the format of the podcast kind of changes a little now, now I do a little like a 16-20 minute rant at the start and then I get onto the, the, the hot topic so let's get on to the hot topic I'm actually now kind of pissed off that I mentioned the video game thing because I know now any time I mention a video game on Twitter ye cunts are going to be going. Are you sure you need to be doing that blind boy are you sure you don't need to step away from the Xbox do you know what we'll fucking do because I haven't done it in a while I haven't done it in about 15 weeks I'd say I'll read out some of Donald Trump's tweets as your drunk limerick aunt now if you're new to the podcast first thing I'd suggest is go back to the fucking start you absolute bastard go back to the very start and listen from the start but there's yeah a tradition on the podcast whereby you know we're currently living in the Trump era and we don't know don't know what the fuck that is it's an it's just this new thing it's this new thing where the most most powerful man in, in the world is incredibly irrational and I read out his tweets as a drunk limerick aunt um, because it just feels right it just feels right if you have a limerick aunt and she gets mildly drunk you'll know what I'm talking about you know the vibe so your aunt your aunt is wearing her pyjamas and she's just uh, she's had a, a Netflix binge and because it's cold outside the first bite of frost in the air and that smell of uh, that smell of turf that you get from chimneys is catching in the fog and creeping in on unclosed window And this this coldness and the the Netflix binge causes your aunt to decide that she must open her bottle of Madeira Sherry which she got for herself as a present when she was in uh, Santa Panza two years ago. But she's going to open up the full bottle of Madeira Sherry which is a very sweet dessert wine and I suppose it's like a Spanish buckfast, you know When, when, when she drinks this it not only causes a, a condition of inebriation but also results in you know the sugar causing a, a sense of hyperness so here is your drunk aunt reading Donald Trump's tweets the only reason to vote for a democrat is if you're tired of winning congratulations to Mexico and Canada hello for them it'll never be enough stay tuned and watch like many I don't watch Saturday Night Live just don't watch it even though I past hosted it it's no longer funny there's no talent or charm it's just a political ad for the Dems word is that Kanye West who put on a mega hat after the show despite being told no was great He's leading the church. So if African-American unemployment is now the last number in history, median income, the highest, and then you add all of the other things I have done, how do Democrats who have done nothing for African-Americans but talk win the black vote? And it'll only get better. So that was... uh, That was... Actual tweets, actual words from the, the leader of the free world, and yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like my aunt on a on a lot of Madeira wine at two in the fucking morning. Do you know what? Um, we'll do the ocarina pause now, because I want to go on a big long, uninterrupted rant. So the ocarina pause is. Occasionally there are digital adverts inserted into this podcast So that they don't surprise you or shock you What I do is I play a Spanish clay whistle If you're lucky you will just hear the clay whistle If you are unfortunate you will be advertised some bullshit that you don't need Uh, Recent adverts have included um, Airbnb during a, a podcast about homelessness Selling you the new fucking Audi Like, who the fuck wants that? People don't buy new cars these days. And then the the good old British army. So let's see what show the pricks advertise this week. Here's the ocarina. (whistles) I'll do it with a bit of distance, actually. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labeling my emotions identifying my emotions i often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy i've attended therapy in person and i've attended therapy online if online therapy is something you might be interested in give better help a try it's entirely online it's convenient flexible and it's suited to your schedule all you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge so give it a go get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com/blindbuy today to get 10% off your first month that's better slash l p.com/blindbuy That was the ocarina pause. Um, this podcast is also... It's it's supported by you, the listener, via a Patreon page. If you enjoy this podcast and you listen to it every week and you're like... Oh, fuck it. I wouldn't... I, if I met Blind Boy in a pub, I'd buy him a pint or I'd buy him a cup of coffee. If you are so inclined, there is a way to do that. You can give me the equivalent... Of a cup of coffee or a pint once a month on the Patreon page, which is Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. Um if you can please do. That's why I release this every single week. Um that fucking that's my upkeep. That's what uh, it's what keeps me going, pays my fucking bills. I'm very grateful for it. But if you don't have the money, or if you simply don't want to, you want to listen for free, you can do that too. That's fine. Alright? God bless you pricks. Right, so what am I gonna talk about this week in the podcast? Well I'm working towards a kind of um a hot take on something I saw on social media last week. So there was this video right that went it went fairly fucking viral on mainly on Twitter. And I saw a bit of it on Facebook. And what the video was is... It was set on a a subway in Russia. Or a fucking underground train or whatever you call it. And what the headline was is that a Russian activist punishes men for manspreading on a train. And what the video was is... It was all these lads on a train... First of all, man-spreading. You know what man-spreading is. Man-spreading is... It's when... It's it's when lads are on public transport... And they spread their legs... Unnecessarily far. Now, that's a thing. Alright? Sometimes people overreact to it. Sometimes they don't. Like... The fact of the matter is... Alright? If you have a set of tackle... Crossing your legs one over the other is is incredibly uncomfortable. Putting your legs very close together is uncomfortable. So, if you're in possession of a set of tackle, you need to keep your legs somewhat apart in order for comfort to exist, right? That's a thing. However, being on public transport as a lad and completely spreading your legs to the point that it encroaches upon the space of a passenger beside you, that's not on. And most lads do it not for comfort but as as a as a masculine way to posture it's it's uh, it's it's kind of like an insecure body language way to communicate to someone it's 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 like going oh man fuck i better spread my legs really far because i've got a cock the size of an antelope Do you know what i mean so man spreading's a thing and it's not great it's it's a uh, it's a silly rude Way to use public space, um, but anyway, some uh, some some people see it as a, as a very aggressive, uh, intimidating male form of posturing, which in a, in a way sometimes it can be. So this woman in Russia, who was an activist, made a viral video where she had a battle of bleach and she made a point in the video of saying that it was highly concentrated bleach and as an act of protest what this woman in the video was doing was going to men that are manspreading on public transport and then pouring bleach on their crotches in the hope that it will the bleach will stain their jeans and act as this mark of shame now i saw it and now i mainly saw it because first of all all the Western clickbait sites. Were sharing the fuck out of it. It was brilliant content for them. Here's the thing with. Uh, a clickbait. And themes of social justice. Most media sites. Are not. The friend of social justice causes. Buzzfeed. Huffington Post. Um, what they're looking for. Is, is engagement. So. When Buzzfeed shares something, a headline about a social justice topic, they're not doing it from the perspective of being a helpful ally. What they want is to piss people off. They they want to they want to share uh, something to portray, we'll say, quote unquote, an, an SJW doing something, and, and what they want from that are arguments, polarized, aggressive arguments in the comments. From people on the left and people on the right, because this continual fighting, basically, it, it pushes Buzzfeed's articles up in the feed, or Huffington Post, or whoever. So, clickbait is not the friend of social justice, no matter how much social justice topic topics it shares. Um, online journalism—they really just want discord and emotional responses to push up fucking to push up th- th- their content in the feed. So, uh, naturally, they went apeshit for this video. So they share it. Uh, Russian, Russian fucking activists pouring bleach on man crotches. And how I saw it was, you know, some people retweeted it, as in, fair play, this is brilliant, a minority. But mostly, the engagement that this video was getting was from very angry, aggressive detractors. For instance, when I saw it on Facebook, I looked at the comments. And most of the comments were, Feminism has gone too far. Uh, The left are violent, here is the proof. Um, If she did that to me, I'd kick her fucking head in. And then someone would say that, and then you'd have a million people underneath that comment, going, are you advocating violence towards women? And all this video did is that it caused this giant fight. Um, Now, I didn't like the video because... Like, okay, let's just say as an act of artistic protest if manspreading was an issue maybe pouring paint on someone's balls I can get behind that that's, um it's risky for a woman to do I don't think a woman would would actually do that because it presents a genuine risk of violence towards her but there's no real victim in pouring paint on someone's crotch it's just, it means you have to go home and wash your jeans but Pouring bleach on someone's crotch, like I don't know if you've ever gotten bleach on your fucking skin. I have. Even the smallest amount. If you leave it there for fucking ten minutes, you've got a burn. So and t- t- testicular, um, t- what, what's the word? The general climate of the testicles is quite sensitive. So if someone goes pouring a bottle of bleach on my dick. I'm going to know about it for a fucking, for weeks. It's it's an act of assault. It's a chemical attack. Do not get bleach on your balls or dick, please. And anyone who does it to somebody else is, that's assault. So this video was advocating for pouring bleach on people's crotches. And all it was doing was causing people to fight and fight and fight. And the more I looked at the video, I kind of realized something's not right here. It's filmed too perfectly. You know. It doesn't look like. um, A genuine video. Of someone pouring bleach. On actual. Unassuming men's crotches. On public transport. This looks staged. And then lo and behold. Did a bit of googling. Did a bit of research. Yes it was staged. It was a staged video. Made in Russia. Where they actually interviewed. One of the fucking actors. For this girl's. Uh, YouTube channel or whatever it was it, it was like a, it was a prank and it wasn't bleach it was water and western media clickbait media ate it up they didn't care they're like brilliant this now will get the left and the right fighting with each other and we'll have loads of views because we don't care how we get our views as long as we get them so they all shared it and it just caused a very aggressive fight and and ...then I looked into it fucking more. And it turns out... ...the girl who made the video... ...she's not... ...a feminist activist. She is... ...a pro-Putin... ...kind of propagandist. She's pro-Vladimir Putin... ...and she's done videos like this before... ...and is most likely probably... ...paid or implied by the Russian state... ...to do these videos. And... ...you're kind of going... ...what's the point... Why would the Russian state want a video of a girl pouring bleach on, you know, a lad's crotches if they're man-spreading? And the key is, is that, like, you, like the way it was presented, it was presented as kind of feminism win. Do you know what I mean? It was like a win for women's rights. Uh, man-spreaders get bleach poured on their crotches. And what the intention was... It it was to portray the left or to portray in particular feminists as violent, irrational lunatics. It was very snaky propaganda. Russia very recently brought in um, a law that essentially makes domestic violence legal. And Russian feminists have been rightfully protesting as best they can in Russia... ...about this law, it's, it's endangering the lives of women. So this video was put out through some snaky channels... ...as a way to make the average Russian person think... Oh, we, ...we must not listen to these feminists, they're aggressive, angry, bitter lunatics... ...who pour bleach on people's crotches, this, these are not reliable people to get behind. They're irrational. And... ...it worked the exact same with Western media. Because the responses I saw underneath were from people who already have the belief that the left or feminism or liberalism is irrational and hysterical. And this fed into their belief and confirmed it and made it actually a hell of a lot worse because now they they were like, brilliant, here's the fucking evidence. Not only are these feminists lunatic Lunatics and 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 hysterical people—they're violent. They must be stopped. They must be stopped. And that was the purpose of it. It was propaganda. And this is kind of this is kind of like part of the bigger chess game that Russia are playing on not only their own population but also on like the West, you know. Russia played a big part in the spread of fake news for Brexit. Russia played a big part in the spread of fake news and propaganda for Trump. Do you know? Straight up lies. Hillary Clinton has AIDS. Hillary Clinton is a paedophile. Shit like that. And doing it through these fake websites. And it, it was done... It was a bad a bad year for satire, I'll put it that way. A lot of complete absurd lies were put out on websites, but if you read the disclaimer on the website, you would say that it it would say that this this is a satire news source. And it really the meaning of the word satire was distorted heavily uh with Brexit, Trump and fake news. Like satire for me is it can be parody but it's parody whereby usually the comedy is punching up it's deconstructing power of some description or it's intent and context is quite clear that it's satire like I don't know, one of the greatest one of the cla- the, I won't say the greatest but a, a classic example of satire would be a modest proposal by Jonathan Swift from the 1700s where Swift wrote a pamphlet that proposed that a solution for the Irish famine were for the rich people to start eating the children of the poor and this was horrendous and it shocked everybody but that's beautiful satire because what it does is you know the rich person would read it going this is horrible this is disgusting how could you possibly suggest that we would eat a child be so barbaric to eat a child this is inhumane but the inhumanity and deliberate disgustingness and deliberate shockingness of Swift's work what it's actually doing is it, it's it's reflecting an inhumanity that already exists just in, an, in a format that's considered acceptable, by which I mean the laissez-faire economic policies of the British there's a famine going on in Ireland let's not intervene whatsoever, let's allow them to die because it's God's will and export their food. Now that was to the Brits considered hugely acceptable under their ideology of liberal economics so what swift basically said is well what you're doing lads is so mean you might as well be boiling children and eating them because it's the same result on the ground that's good satire um saying that hillary clinton has aids or saying that uh, barack obama is a secret muslim like th- there's, there's no punching up there that's just simply calling that's lies and then using the excuse of satire as a disclaimer but ultimately ultimately yeah Russia are playing a very very clever game at the moment incredibly clever the way that they are using I, I, could you call it soft power they're not Russia basically after, since the fucking fall of the Soviet Union have a very tight leash okay? they're surrounded by NATO countries they're surrounded by these tight unions of western countries that will not let Russia expand in any way whatsoever and Putin and the Russians like are a very proud people they want essentially to have the old Soviet empire back but they can't do it with the way NATO are uh, kind of and the EU are at their doorstep so what Putin wants is he knows he hasn't a hope like here's the thing with Russia too like first off Russia is very frightening right purely because there was once a time during the Cold War when Russia was a superpower and you, you know us here we come from a culture of 50 years of Russia being this terrifying awful nation with nuclear bombs that want to eradicate everyone like that is no longer a fact and we're unsure even how much of a fact it was back then as well because a lot of their stats about how much nuclear weapons and stuff they had were kind of made up but Russia's massive on the map but it's economy is is pretty much about the size of Italy it's not really that powerful Putin isn't, isn't that powerful as a country so militarily Russia can do fuck all But what they do want to do is to destabilise the West massively, politically. And it's working. They want to break apart the European Union. They want to break apart NATO. And they're having a good whack at it. And we're kind of doing it to ourselves. Brexit. Do you know? Like... the the, The scary thing about Brexit is not necessarily the Brits leaving, but... It's, it's like if the Brits leave and they get a very good deal, then the fear is the domino effect. And then what happens is if, if Europe, Europe falls apart and then you have all these nation states, that's not safe. We, we know from World War II that that isn't safe. Like the whole point of the EU is when you have European fucking countries that are nation states with ancient rivalries, then you have Europe at war. That can't exist in a post-World War II climate because of nuclear weapons. So things like the United Nations, uh, NATO, the EU, these are necessary defence mechanisms that stop the most powerful nuclear-armed countries in the world going to war. And Russia wants this dissolved. It's in Russia's benefit. So they're doing it through fake news or uh, like doing it through you know promoting fucking th- promoting things like Brexit spre- spreading fake news that will target the vulnerable people who will vote for Brexit with Trump what they want and it's working like Britain and Europe are huge allies of the US Trump isn't too interested in that he's a he's a, a protectionist he's a, he's a nationalist protectionist so that's the kind of non-linear war that Russia want to fight. What else are they doing? Those mad poison attacks in England. The Novichok thing. Do you know, what's the point of that? Why would you bother your whole going into another country and poisoning someone? Because it's... It's audacious. It's an act of propaganda and fear that lets the people of Britain... It... it, it, it simultaneously lets British people feel, feel afraid... And, and also embarrasses the government of Britain by showing that their defences aren't very good. That's why we say Russian jets were, for about two or three years before Brexit, nearly once a month, they were. Russian jets were making very aggressive moves towards the coast of uh, Britain or British waters, and then the British RAF would have to respond by scrambling jets to stop them. It's a way of... I don't know, it's like fucking tennis balls over someone's wall. It's provocation. It's being as brazen as possible. The annexation of Crimea, you know? That's one of the fucking... That, again, is testing boundaries. We haven't seen in, in, in Europe or the, or the fucking West the, the annexation of an area since World War II when Russia just did it with Crimea. Testing boundaries. You know, what will you do if we try this shit? And no one really did anything. Um... Before Trump came into power, there was a strong narrative in the news coming from both Britain and the US about like Hillary Clinton's whole thing was Russian aggression, Russian aggression. What are we going to do with Russian aggression? So my guess is that if Clinton did actually win the election, right now we would have a, <clears throat> I don't know, kind of a, not a new call to war but something not far off it. There would Russia and the US would most definitely be head to head over Crimea right now if Clinton was in power. Now whether that's a good or a bad thing I don't know now it's worth mentioning too that the we'll say the revolution in Crimea was also western backed the thing that Russia responded to so I'm not like I'm not a Russia are a shower of cunts but pretty much every government in the world are a shower of cunts like the Americans are dirty cunts the Russians are dirty cunts the Brits are dirty cunts that's modern politics but what, what I want to get at with today's podcast and what I want to speak about is um, I suppose that the type of thinking and the style behind, the style of thinking and purpose behind propaganda and destabilization of reality that's what we have right now Like we no longer have the narrative the cold war narrative of two superpowers we instead have this complete dist- like knowledge knowledge at the moment as well is, is completely under fire do you know what I mean it's hard to trust sources you don't know even with something scientific you know you, you, you pull out the figures for a scientific study and then you scratch beneath the surface and you find out oh shit well this study was actually funded by such and such so therefore these figures that I have before me they might, might not even be that reliable because of who funded the figures things like that P- putting faith in evidence is not something that it's not very 2018 right um, also too with the rise of uh, we'll say politics and identity shit's been seriously reappraised a lot of science or fucking philosophy psychology was the work of white men and it didn't take into consideration a, a multicultural perspective like even the CBT podcast that I spoke about spoke about their pastry podcast about CBT like i saw a, a, a fucking a, a a brilliant paper criticising CBT in that the whole thing about CBT is that, you know, it's evidence-based. You you treat yourself like a scientist and look at the evidence and look at the reason and look at the logic. But that logic and reason has its foundations very much in Western ideas going right back to the Greeks of rationality and of evidence. And these things aren't... They're not... um. other cultures allow for a bit more nuance. So the paper that I read basically was arguing that CBT is only really effective for white Western people. But if a psychologist, if we'll say somebody, an African migrant, we'll say, was to present to the NHS or the HSE and look for CBT, CBT might not be the most effective treatment for them because culturally they don't come from a culture that gets the absolute horn for rationality and evidence their, their cultural outlook on life and themselves and the world can allow for a kind of a nuance in it you know, religious thinking how, how does CBT work for someone who's religious, you know what I mean? but knowledge, basically, in 2018 it, it, it's, it's not very reliable so we definitely have a climate of absolute uncertainty you know you don't know what's right what's wrong what's up what's down the internet contributes to this as well because of the multiple narratives and conflicting points that you see all the time online and you don't know which one is true so russia and russia in particular but all sorts of propaganda very much exploit this uncertainty Because from this uncertainty, what's very easy to exploit is human emotions. This is why, too, I think now, hot fucking take. But people are very political and idealistic nowadays. Do you know? Young people in particular, people in their fucking 20s, are political in a way that their older brothers and sisters 10 years ago were fucking not. There's 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds identifying now in Ireland like as full on I am a communist on the other side of the coin you've got 20 year olds identifying as no I'm a fucking Nazi but very polarized and very strong opinions and what I think that is is it's searching for a definite sense of certainty in a very uncertain climate of ideas because what else are you going to do and I suppose what you'd call it is... I don't think we live in the postmodern era anymore. We don't live in... in, Because irony and context are kind of going out the window too. A bit. So what some people say we live in is metamodernism. Metamodernism is where... We have the idealism of modernism. Right? Modernism... uh, Is from the industrial revolution right up to the 1950s. Where basically... Science was the thing, you trust science, you trust big ideas, and you put faith in them, and you'll be grand. Then when that kind of failed with the 1950s, like, how did science fail? Alright, architecture is the most obvious reason. In the fucking 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, architects decided, okay, there's a slum problem in most large cities, how do we solve it? Let's build these big giant council estates huge tower blocks and engineer them on the science of sociology and the science of architecture and this will solve all of the problems of society and that didn't work it didn't happen just look at Ballymun in Dublin it failed to account for the chaos and irrationality of the human condition so from the failure of we'll say big ideas like that postmodernism comes out of that which is kind of an ironic laughter at the failure of modernism but postmodernism i think went out the window as soon as social media became a thing as soon as we stopped living in the authentic world and instead now live through digital avatars of ourselves online and have separate separate um, separated our personalities from ourselves so we live now in in, in meta modernism which is the, the irony of postmodernism and the idealism of modernism exist side by side in this continual fluxus. That's what's going on. And fake news and propaganda exploits this and that's the crack that it's what Russia tested out on their own population for the past 20 years, we'll say since Putin has been in power. And it's what's happening now with Brexit and Trump and I want to look a little bit I'm going to move on to other stuff afterwards but I want to look a little bit at you know where does this come from where in Russia is this coming from and I'm going to borrow from Adam Curtis who's a journalist who makes fucking fantastic films I suggest looking at anything Adam Curtis has ever made but one of Putin's top advisors is a fellow by the name of Vladimir Sarkov and he kind of He's a, he pulls. I won't say he pulls Putin's strings, but he is the person Putin goes to for PR and propaganda and stuff like this. And this is who has been doing it for Putin for the past twenty years. And this video, which I saw of the girl pouring the girl the girl in Russia pouring bleach on on Manspreader's crotches, is is pure Vladimir Sarkov. It is um, if it wasn't conceived by him personally it's from his playbook and this is the type of thing that Sarkov has been doing through the Kremlin in Russia for years like some some of the examples would be Sarkov would have the Kremlin sponsor and train far right groups but then at the same time train left groups and they would kind of fight it out together and you're going what's the point of funding two ideologically opposed groups like what what's that about or the Kremlin would actually fund and support parties that oppose Vladimir Putin you know and what, what makes this advisor Sarkov so interesting is that his background is from the world of art and theatre modern art specifically So he appears to be like taking... Like ideas from... The world of avant-garde art... And applying these... Theatrical themes... To politics... And that's what he's done since 2000... And even madder than that then... He released a book... Where he just... it, It was like... An autobiography of himself... Under a different name. But he basically told everyone what he was doing. And the end result of this. Is to create a state of absolute sheer confusion. Where you don't know whether up is down or down is up. And it ends with a population that. Are so uncertain and so continually distracted. And fighting about small things. That the actual wheel of power keeps turning unfazed because everyone is on the ground like it'd be like trying to give a speech and then throwing a lot of euros on the ground as you're doing it no one would be listening to you everyone would be on the ground fighting for euros you know that's kind of what what Sarkov has done to Russian politics and he's been accused of it being like of creating for putin what what is known as the world's first first post-modern dictatorship by which i mean a standard dictatorship as we know it is very blatant Like kim jong-un that's modernist dictatorship he is in power he is in power by force he has a cult of personality and it is very very obvious whereas with putin He's been in power since 1999 I believe in I suppose a democracy where people have freedom to vote and he's not a dictator he's the world leaders have to take him seriously as a democratically elected either you know when he was prime minister and when he was president and then prime minister and then president again and then extending the period of what a presidency should be and you've had one man in power for 20 fucking years. Effectively running a dictatorship but it not being a dictatorship because it's called a democracy it, it, what, what that is is it's the fundamental shaking up of what we understand to be normal and this is absolutely being now exported into the west either through Russia or through the west simply viewing and looking at Russia and seeing well that fucking works um, Trump is the finest example like I always feared uh, S- Steve Bannon and thank fuck he's gone because when Trump got into power I always thought Steve Bannon was going to be Trump's Vladimir Sarkoff, the incredibly intelligent person with an ideology Th- the one thing about Trump that is not a good thing but a less frightening thing is that the man truly is a fucking impulsive idiot and with an ego he doesn't appear to have a strong political ideology set of beliefs Steve Bannon did he was frightening but he's gone and I thought he was going to be Trump's Sarkov. but if we stop looking at Trump as this lunatic clown and see what he's actually doing it echoes what Russian politics was like for the past 20 years in that like I don't even look at the fucking news anymore like genuinely like I don't open up the news app because you don't really see news anymore. How much of the headlines since Trump has been in power have not been about actual shit that's happening, but rather intense debates over something that was said, over words or inappropriate actions. And what it's doing is that it's taking... Trump is basically... We have this you know, as a civilization, as a society, have this idea in our heads that a politician has to be a certain way. And Trump turns that on its head every time. And we're left with this utter fucking confusion to the point that I don't open my news app anymore. I don't open my news because it's such a confusing clusterfuck and everyone's fighting that I don't know what's happening. And it's the same with Brexit. You've got Boris fucking Johnson who's another clown, Theresa May who seems completely incapable and then she's in league with the fucking DUP, Christian fundamentalist lunatics who think that the earth is 6000 years old and hate gays. It's it's a it's a circus, it's a pantomime and we don't have figures of real leadership anymore. But this this again this this is the question. It's like is it true chaos? Or has the Russian playbook of this meta modern uh, political theatre merely been... Is that now culture? Like Kanye West. You know, th- this style of political theatre, I see it in, in Kanye West's recent behaviour. Now, I don't know, is Kanye West like some days i go right kenya is someone with bipolar disorder and right now we are seeing someone with bipolar and they're expressing a manic episode but then other times i see kenya on his bullshit and it's too well thought out and i wonder is he being influenced by the trump era by the putin era to like no no one no no one has an opinion on kenya west anymore like, he did a... Was it a press conference? He was on Saturday Night Live wearing a Make America Great Again hat and a Colin Kaepernick t-shirt. That style of thinking is metamodern political theory. That's... That's fucking... Vladimir Surkov and Putin sponsoring both right-wing groups and left-wing groups. That's what Kenya was doing right there. Two vastly opposing ideas and the only response... ...that we have... ...is to argue about the hat and the jumper... ...and what do they mean... ...or to simply give up... ...as... ...Vice... uh, ...who I'm not a huge fan of Vice... ...media, but... ...their website, Noisy... ...when Kanye came out with this... batshit irrational set of behaviours... ...that we've been seeing recently... ...like telling everyone an album is going to come out... ...and then the album doesn't come out... ...this madness which we're also seeing with Putin, we're also seeing with Trump, when Kanye did it, Vice came out with an article that says, we reviewed all of Kanye's albums using only autocorrect text on the iPhone, which I thought was a beautiful response. It was basically, Kanye is gone so irrational that we can't respond with any degree of critique or rationality, so we must allow the auto correct artificial intelligence of an iPhone to review his albums which I thought was a brilliant appropriate response to it but that is our response now when you you just don't know what's happening in the world and everyone is clinging to some type of hardline ideologically ideological belief for this for a feeling of safety I think you know even though it's motivated by hatred, Or it's motivated by a desire for social justice. Um, This very definite trend that we're seeing of. Alt-right Nazis. Hardcore libertarians. People describing themselves as communists. This wasn't here 10 years ago. That was the minority. Now it's mainstream. It is people going. At least communism has a fucking rule book. Because I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know what this is. So maybe that's a boiling hot take. I don't know. Um, This is a ranty one, isn't it? But well, that's what you get now after three weeks of psychology. What I want to look at too, just briefly... Some other examples of... Uh, kind of batshit propaganda. Like the woman in the bleach, but... Because it, like... Putin didn't fucking invent that. Vladimir Surkov didn't invent that. Brits used to do it. Um, In 1972, the British MI5 up in Northern Ireland at uh, 72... No, it wasn't 72. It might have been... Was it 72? It was a particularly violent year anyway in the Troubles. And what MI5 started to do because the, the Exorcist had been... I be, hold on, I better check my actual fucking year on this. I'll, I'll check the year. Yeah, 1972 to 1974. Very violent years in Northern Ireland. Um, what you had in the culture in seventy two was... It was a, th- a theme in the media of satanic panic, which was... ...a global theme of the fear of satanic sacrifices, satanic rituals... ...brought about by themes in media, like... ...what did you have around then? A fucking Black Sabbath. You had Black Sabbath coming out in 1970 with their first album... ...which would have been a huge hit with young people. Um, and Black Sabbath used to explore kind of satanic themes in their music... ...and this obviously was eaten up by young people who wanted to scare their parents you had the exorcist, you had all this stuff and a fear of Satanism and a fear of young people turning to satanic rituals was a thing. So MI5, via the British Army, what they started doing in Belfast, whenever there was like a shooting or a bombing or Republican activity, MI5 would go in and they would plant upside down crucifixes And they would plant black candles and pentagrams and satanic things in these areas. And then the locals would find it, would start freaking out. And what the purpose of it was is that, like MI5, they would do it as well with loyalists. The Brits were very fearful of the the sectarian religious element to the Northern Ireland Troubles. Um, when the issue was is political they felt that it, it was more controllable because with politics you have clear aims and shit like that but when religion was there and you, when you're taking sectarianism and the fact that Catholics were oppressed and all of this shit with a religious people they were hoping that the priests would think that the rab were engaging in satanism and that what this would do is it would cause... Confusion and dissent within... Republican community... Or even within the loyalist community... And it would cause... The average... It's, it's a way basically to stop... Your ma... Or your da supporting the ra... It was a way to... Divide the community... That the rational... Church going decent people... Could not possibly get behind... Or vindicate these paramilitaries that were committing these shootings and shit like that and then fucking having pentagrams and burning black candles, so that's what the Brits, Brits did a deliberate uh, counterintelligence plot to get the people of Northern Ireland fearful of the rad doing satanic rituals, which you gotta hand it to them, pretty clever shit far more sinister uh, than that though is the the military reaction force, which were a kind of a MI5, uh, it, it, the brainchild of MI5, but th- there were British soldiers in plain clothes that were given a, a license to kill. And British soldiers did drive by shootings on unarmed, innocent civilians in Catholic areas of Northern Ireland so that the Ra would think that it was loyalists. And the British army, sanctioned by the state, murdered innocent people deliberately to spark a sectarian feud. That would take the IRA's attention away from, um, the fucking the British Army. That's why there is no moral high ground in fucking in the north whatsoever. If anyone pulls that shit, the British Army are murdering uh, scumbags who have not nothing to fucking. They have nothing to fall back on when it comes to that particular activity there. But what the military action force also did. Is they ran a laundry service. And they ended up getting caught. But they had this successful fucking laundry service. Where everyone just thought it was. Oh fuck it cheap laundry. What they were doing is they were going into nationalist areas. And they were. um, People would give their sheets and their jeans and their fucking t-shirts to be washed. And of course the Brits. Clandestinely in their secret laundry vans. Were testing all the clothes for. Uh, Semtex or Dynamite or whatever. Kind of clever, but murdering scumbags. This podcast is so fucking rambly this week and directionless that... I think I'm going to call it... I'll even call it a city name. But, uh... Yeah, what are you going to do? You know, that's the thing about this podcast... I just gave you a load of opinion there you know I'm not a fucking journalist I'm nothing you know if you want to talk metamodernism why why are you why are you coming to a fellow with a plastic bag in his head to, to find some facts you know that's the other thing our politicians are clowns and then the people who are supposed to be clowns have to take on the role of fucking rationality and you're seeing that as well the world over I heard the phrase post-comedy used recently. And I don't know how I feel about it. Um, It was used to refer to... There's a Netflix special called Nanette. Which is fantastic. Um, I enjoyed it. But however... It felt... It looked like stand-up comedy. But it felt more like a TED Talk. A TED Talk. I said that like a fucking grandmother... TED talk TED talk a TED talk it's not a bit like uh, your grandmother would say fucking turkey meat instead of turkey meat or green day instead of green day it's a pure Irish grandmother thing but anyway yeah Nanette felt more like a TED talk than comedy and I'm not saying that to detract from it Um, Hannah Gadsby delivered a fucking you know it was well thought out well structured but it was something new it wasn't specifically I don't think she wanted anyone rolling around the floor laughing it was much more about it was like the shit that leads to jokes but not doing the jokes it was like the thinking behind it Nanette is more like um, it's a hijacking It's, it's almost that Putin-esque kind of thing the podcast was was speaking about whereby it's like okay here we are Uh, we're in a stand-up club, stand-up lighting, this looks like a stand-up comedian but instead of doing a stand-up I've got you here for an hour I have you, the audience's attention and we're going to use this space for you to try and experience what life is like for me, because I've had different experiences than you've had This is about empathy. It's not really about rolling around the floor laughing. That's what I got from Nanette. I liked it, but I've heard it referred to as as post-comedy. Which, I I hate that term. I I haven't got my head around it yet, but... It's something which uses the... Mechanics, the feel, and the look of comedy. But doesn't necessarily set out to deliver on... Fucking set up punchline do you know what I mean or tagline punchline whatever the fuck it's called it's not there to have you roll around the floor laughing it's for something different a deeper level of communication like even this podcast to a sense because of the nature of like on the online economy like shit gets consumed very very quickly Like, when I was releasing music videos as the Rubber Bandits... ...up until about 2014... ...if you put the work in, release the video... ...like, something like Dad's Best Friend... ...that's six months' work, alright? That requires writing the song... ...performing it, mastering it, producing it... ...raising the funds for the video... uh, ...Mr. Chrome doing the fucking... ...all the prosthetics... ...shooting the video, directing it... ...to do it all yourself... ...you're talking six months, right then you put it out that went out in 2013 we would have gotten maybe 6 months of publicity out of that so that 6 months work is worth it to put out to get 6 months back in terms of gigs or whatever that's gone now you put 6 months work into a music video now it goes out on a Monday people are talking about it until Wednesday and by the time Friday comes around there's an article out about why it's problematic and then the next Monday comes around and someone says actually no it's not problematic and then no one cares anymore that's the new cycle of consumption so there's no longer an incentive for artists as such to truly put effort into something to put long time thought and process into something so with this podcast I rant for an hour and it goes out every single week. And people give a shit about it for three days. And that's the way it is. But. We'll say six years ago. The shit that goes into this podcast. Would have been. my my The jottings in my journal. That would eventually turn into. Well constructed songs or jokes. Or themes. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of lost a bit in today's culture. Um. I suppose I've got my book that I'm going to be able to take time on but I couldn't have that book on its own um, people in the creative industry now you have to continually have a presence of some description and a good someone who cares about what you're doing will try and make sure that that presence is of a high quality and good standard that's what I try and do with this podcast make sure at least you're enjoying it and I enjoy doing it and it's good quality but others it doesn't matter Um, I saw an artist on Instagram and they announced a single release and the next day they did a selfie and the selfie got like nearly three times as many likes as the single release so it's content has replaced I won't say quality but content has replaced art that's where we're at right now with the consistent consumption of the internet like, look, just think of any fucking, anyone, any musical artist today who's released a big piece of work, an album release. We'll take Kenya right now. How much of the media discourse is about the actual creative work and how much is about some facet of the person's personality or behaviour, something they said did, war wore or, or some spectacle they were involved in? That's what it's a that's what it's about now. The last time I can remember the piece of art being the thing that's spoken about most, that's most dissected in discourse, this is America by Donald Glover or childish Gambino as he goes by. And even that there is an almost a post music argument to be made about this is america by childish gambino because if you listen to the song it doesn't it doesn't really hold up the song by itself it doesn't have a recognizable hook as such you're not going to walk away humming it the lyrical content is good but really what it was about was the video the video was amazing incredible engaging but is that kind of nearly post music would this is This Is America by Donald Glover done very well if it was a radio song? No. We engaged with the spectacle of the beautiful piece of theatre that the video was. And that's why this is a long rambling podcast. And you're free to disagree with any of the shit I said because I'm just some cunt with a bag in my head. And I'm not an authority. I'm also I'm not sure what this podcast was about. Um I think it was a probing into Metamodernism I don't know But I hope you enjoyed it anyway I hope If anything You enjoyed 70 minutes of The podcast hug Simply listening To somebody talk And being able to let go Of Your own thoughts for a while While somebody else does the talking So if you got that anyway uh, Fair play And I'll leave you go There's 70 minutes gone So I don't have time to Answer any questions I'm doing three live gigs this week, they're all sold out, thank you very much. My two Vicar Streets are sold out, and my Belfast Empire is sold out. So, I'm back in Vicar Street on the 8th and 9th of November, they are not sold out. So please, funny thing happened actually. So, when I'm getting ready to do these gigs, I'm unsure about... Like, it's a live podcast, so you want to have the intimacy in the room. And Vicar Street's big, that's like 1,200 fucking people. So you want to still maintain the intimacy of having a a conversation with my guest. But you want people to enjoy themselves too. So I'm guessing it'll be like an hour and a half to two hours. And I, I want people to be able to have a drink if they can. But you don't leave the fucking bar open. Because then it can fuck up with the conversation and people get distracted. So what I'm going to do in Vicar Street is that the bar will be open at the start and then I'll have an interval in the middle where you can go for a pint but throughout the show there'll be no shuffling and no pints because I remember I did a gig in Belfast about six months ago. The bar was open. It was chaos. People didn't... uh, A lot of people said that was too fucking noisy so I'm never doing that again. But culturally in Ireland, in the gigging scene, we, uh, you know, we like to have a fucking pint when we go out. That's part of Irish culture. When you go out to a gig, you want to have a few fucking pints. Christy Moore, the brilliant uh, Irish singer songwriter, famously for years, going back years, would not allow an open bar at his gigs. And it caused. Now it's getting a bit more normal, but when Christy was doing it 20, 30 years ago, people were like, fuck this, I can't go to the bar during a gig. It was nuts. So when I asked on Twitter, should I leave the bar open or closed? Just to get feedback from ye, who fucking chimes in, Christy Moore, Christy fucking Moore, the man who invented the closed bar at an Irish gig, chimes in. So that was my bit of youngie and synchronicity from the day for the day. It was a sign from above, from the, from the collective unconscious of humankind, that the bar should uh, remain closed. I am talking out of my arse this week, lads. All right, have a good one. Have a lovely, peaceful week. Enjoy yourself. Look after yourself. Rub a dog. Rub a cat. Be compassionate to another person. Yart.